You're listening to Radio Veritas, where you get the good news for a change. I'm Colin Northmore, and I'm joined by a panel of experts. We're going to talk about hashtag Evolve SA Education today, particularly looking at how we measure children and how we measure success in schools and if there are better ways of doing that, and should we, in fact, be finding those ways. Um, at Sacred Art College, we recently ran a uh, scholarship exam where instead of doing the traditional paper and pen tests, we were getting kids to work in groups. We were measuring them based on their collaboration, their problem solving. Uh, obviously, we do need to have a baseline on their mathematical and, and English ability. But the fascinating thing for me was to see how these children work together. And I always tease my parents at Sacred Heart. Uh, I tell them that I can guarantee that every matric child is going to get at least five distinctions. There's just one or two conditions to that. Um, They must be allowed to take their iPads into the exam with them, and they must be allowed to discuss the questions with one another. Um, Now, the IB will call that cheating. The rest of the world will call that work. And I think there's the problem. The problem lies in the fact that we are still using these traditional methods of measuring children's success. And more and more, the universities and, and the rest of the world are discovering that that's not really the way to test children. Joining me on the panel, I have Catherine Harrison, Matilda Dube, Ndaduzi Kwabe. I hope I got that Kwab part right there, Ndaduzi. Um, you know, it's the Umlungu trying to get it right here. And uh, we, um, we're going to have a great conversation. These, these are people who have given a lot of thought to these ideas, been educators for such a long time. And we're going to try and make sure that we fill up the time with some interesting thoughts. A little bit later on, we'll open up the telephone and you can phone in or send us a a text and ask us questions or give us your views, give us your comments, tell us about how little the matric actually mattered to you or how much it mattered to you, uh, those marks that you got in matric. Um, And and also just have a conversation about why do schools continue and why does the Department of Education continue to measure success based on a very limited, very basic set of skills. And then what else can we do? I mean, there's, there's issues of critical thinking. There's issues of getting children to be able to problem solve, to be able to face unusual situations. We can speak about resilience. We can speak about uh, how important it becomes to test the sorts of things that aren't easily measurable. Uh, we also have a great uh, extract from a podcast by Carl Reyes a bit later on. He's going to be uh, talking a little bit about his uh, view of what we should be measuring. He's got an acronym called ARC that he's going to use to talk about that. We're also going to get some great music as we go along. And, um, you know, we're going to start with uh, Len Golo from St. Michael's in Meadowlands. They're going to be playing a, a lovely piece of or singing a lovely piece of music for us. This is Radio Veritas, where you hear the good news for a change. It's Colin Northmore from Sacred Heart speaking, and I'm joined by a panel of experts to talk about hashtag Evolve SA Education. We have Miss Kath- Catherine Harrison. She's the program specialist uh, for a program called Extreme, which is going to be very interesting to hear about at St. Dominic's in Boxburg. Also here today is Mrs. Matilda Dube, the, the headmistress of Immaculata Secondary in Dipcliffe, Soweto. 
uh, will bring a whole different perspective from the rest of us to that. And we have Mr. Nduduzi Kwabe, our Policy, Advocacy and Government Relations Manager at the Catholic Institute of Education. Nduduzi is also an educator, so I'm sure he's got a lot to tell us about uh, his views on, on how we measure children and how we should be measuring children. I'm going to start with you, Kathy. What, uh, what is extreme and, and what is it you're actually doing down at St. Dominic's? Well, thank you, Colin. It's really great to be here. And it's a privilege to be working at St. Dominic's um, there as a consultant and specializing in their extreme project. Um, extreme, the X is for excellence and it's also for extra as in it will be done in, as an enrichment program. I'm sure you're very familiar with STEM, which is the science, technology, engineering, and maths. And we all know that those subjects are very important um, skills for the 21st century. And then the arts is the A. And then very importantly, uh, Mr. Loring recognized, he and his exec team, the importance of values-based education, which I know that you are a proponent of, and is very important in a Catholic school as well. So the religion comes in, um, asking questions about ethics. So you want the girls to think ethically, and you want the girls to, to consider the issues of spirituality and that's why you've put an R into the stream. Yes. Um, how do you go about doing that? I mean, how would you get girls thinking ethically? So in every situation in a school classroom um, and in an extreme project, the idea is when you are posed with um, something that you have to innovate, something you have to come up with, you need to think about the impact on society, on the environment, um, you can't just go ahead, as you mentioned um, on Wednesday, with something without thinking about how it impacts on others. And is, do you do these, uh, this, this enrichment program within the normal school day? Have you got periods? How, how do you fit this into, your, into a CAPS curriculum? <laughs> We're still looking at the whole um, whether to do it as a module or whether to do it only as project space. For me, I believe it should be throughout the curriculum. I don't believe that STEM or extreme should have be something that's only extra. Every teacher should be considering ethics, considering the questions behind it. A geography teacher, when they do rural studies or um, any kind of study, the history teacher looking in the past should think about the values around it and the English teacher. So I don't think it's, it's just a modular external. So, so not an add-on, but actually core to your curriculum. Yes, every teacher should be thinking about those things. Now, if you, if you think about, you, you mentioned earlier 21st century education and, and uh, how extreme is a, an attempt to try and address some of the 21st century issues. For our listeners, because, you know, we, we like any organization, like any professional body, we have our own jargon that we use uh, to confuse the layperson so that they can't understand us and criticize us or whatever reason you have jargon. So just unpack for us quickly when you say 21st education, 21st century education, what do you mean by that? Well, we know that many uh, of our students will have as many as five careers in their lifetime. Um, careers that haven't even been thought about um, and thought of at this stage. So we have to think uh, in a futuristic way. Just teaching knowledge is not important or as important as it was when I was at school. Children can access knowledge from Google at any stage. So now you're teaching them to be innovative, to be imaginative and creative, and to use skills 
to actually be able to solve problems that probably our generation created. You talk about STEM, Cathy. How does technology come into this issue of extreme? How would you integrate technology? Do you integrate technology? I think there's also a little bit of a, a mystification around technology. Everybody thinks technology means computers. And I do believe technology enhances education in every way. I mean, you can put a YouTube clip on, you can have an author speaking about their works in front of your class um, from America. Um, It's wonderful to have technology in the classroom. But technology is also building and making and designing and um, bringing back games. A lot of it actually is not new. A lot of it is going back into a playground and making mud pies and pouring and and measuring and weighing and tinkering in the garage. So the sorts of things we would have done at home while we came for the formal stuff in education. I'm going to give you a chance to breathe and I'm going to turn to Matilda. Matilda, you know, give us an idea. Your school always gets among the best matric results in, in Soweto, in your circuit, um, last year, no different. Um, but surely it, these things become more and more challenging as you are, you are dealing with some of the issues of deprivation and poverty that are common to, to the children uh, in, in, the, in the general spaces that you work. Or, or would you say I'm, I'm wrong and, and that, in fact, your kids come from a privileged space? No, um, I think you're right. Thank you for inviting me to this. You're right. Um, we have kids, you know, I always say to people, we are an independent school, yes, and a lot of people would think that because we are an independent school, we are one of those privileged schools, but I always say, unfortunately, we are this poor independent school, and mainly because we, we have our kids from the surrounding area, from the very... Um, poverty-stricken area, you know, not all of the parents that bring their kids there um, can manage, actually, even with the payment of fees. So we are, yes, um, a a school in Soweto, um, and we cater for, you know, the downtrodden, if I would put it that way, um, kind of, of learners. So your kids already arriving at school with deficits, as far as their um, the, the kind of cultural capital they bring to to school with them, I, I always argue that children in privileged schools who are getting distinctions would get those distinctions anywhere, and that the school actually doesn't. You know, we we talk at Sacred Heart about learning gains, particularly the principal of the high school, Heather Blankensy, is very interested in the concept of what does a school add. You know, if you take what arrives at your door and what leaves at the end of matric, how much has the school added? And it's always been our contention that schools like yours, like the four independent schools in Soweto, four independent Catholic schools in Soweto, add a lot more or have to add a lot more than what a wealthy independent school would have to add. So so how do you tackle issues of 21st century learning um, or how do you engage given the kinds of deficits that your children arrive with? Yeah, I think this is a challenge because, um, uh, as you already say, we, you know, we have to talk about the 21st century um, skills. But unfortunately, we are the school that um, still follows the, you know, I would say the traditional way of, you know, imparting knowledge. 
And, you know, when you're talking 21st century, you, you have a child in your classroom. Um, we, we still are faced with a situation where the, the teacher um, is regarded as the person with the knowledge and therefore all that the teacher has to do is to impart this knowledge and uh, that deprives the kids from a situation where you know the the you know the issue of creativity that has to come in uh where they have to be innovative um and and in most cases you know you'll find it if we have such a child who you know it, it it's more like not it's different from the others um, a child with an inquiry mind, uh, which we have to, you know, try to assist and, you know, embrace. You'd find a situation where you take that child to be, you know, hey, you, you, is a disruptive child. Mm -hmm. And, and that alone says we, we are depriving the, the kids, you know, to, to have those skills that they would need in, in the future. Um, but as a school, we, we, we are trying, we are aware um, that we have to um, up their standards. Uh, we are aware that, uh, for instance, one of the projects that we have as a school, we have the, the grade eight and nines. We find that the grade eights, they come to our school, most of them, with no good background in terms of reading skills. Right. Right. And, you know, mathematics is just another story. You know, most of them, they come to school with, with that poor background of mathematics. And we've tried to say, okay, let us have this project. Where our focus, for instance, in terms of the English um, uh, project, our focus is just on reading skills. To say, you know, we, with that, we're trying, we want to um, inculcate in them um, a situation where they will be able to to reason, you know, uh, as they are able to read, they will be able to be imaginary, you know, which are the skills that they need. And with those skills, then they can take them to um, the other subjects that they need, um, you know, because we're talking integration here. Um, that you're doing um, English um, doesn't mean that has nothing to do with your other subject. Yeah. And therefore, with, with us assisting them with the reading skills, we are saying, Yes, this is something that will assist them. And this is something that we're saying um, is a problem. And you asking yourself to say exactly what is the problem with our education system. Yeah, I th what I is think it wrong that is happening? I think we're going to get, get round to that. Ways. I think we're going to get round to that in the panel discussion, looking at you know, some of the things that need to change in our education system. I'm going to turn to you, Mduduzi, and you've got a bird's eye view working at the Catholic Institute of Education. You've got a sort of an over view of how the results look throughout the country, also working in projects at the CIE. What's your view on all of this? Uh, good, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, and thanks for inviting me, Colin, and I will forgive your pronunciation earlier. <laughs> thanks so much. <laughs> Not a big deal. Um, I think um, one of the biggest... Uh, I'm happy this conversation is going this way because many a times when you talk about um, 21st century skills... People narrow it down to just simply having IT and computers and laptops and everything in classes. When it's actually much bigger than that, it's not only those skills. So our main work, at, my main work at CIE is to track government policy, to ensure that we 
comment on policy when it comes out and to also ensure that we try to influence policy at uh, especially national level and um, our regional managers at more local level at districts and circuit uh, offices but at more national level that's where i sit and we sit and we are part of uh, the teacher development curriculum and management uh, committee at dbe and with that uh, uh, they've begun to look at issues of 21st century um, skills like collaboration communication i had catherine talking earlier about ethics and things like that which are very very important skills critical skills for the 21st uh, century and i think that um, our system started at some point via the transformation in 1994 and then we had the Sullivan schools act then we had obe which we didn't know how to do <laughs> so then we spoke at that time about collaboration and group work and things like that and now we went back again and we're still not sure as a system as to which way we should be going. But conversations like this are very, very uh, crucial to have uh, if we are to move forward because I am of the belief that we already uh, left behind uh, when we look at um, the emphasis that's put on just metric results, uh, on uh, testing and assessments uh, that are methods that are really uh, traditional methods. Um, we need to realize that if we're talking about uh, the 21st century child, we have to have some kind of paradigm shift. So often I think principals will say that uh, the biggest barrier that they sometimes face to bringing 21st century teaching into their schools is is the training of teachers and the and their ability to shift, their ability to make that paradigm shift that you're talking about. What is the CIE doing to try and, uh, uh, you know, help principals with the issue of, of reskilling our teachers? Uh, is the CIE working in that space? I, I seem to remember that it is. Yes, yes, we, we, we are working in that space in what, however little ways that we try. Uh, our biggest uh, project for the past few years, one of our biggest projects has been literacy. Um, and at some point it was numeracy too, to help teachers to be able to um, to cover those gaps that were perhaps never covered at initial teacher education. And uh, um, unfortunately those kind of things are also just as expensive to run. And also of course to try, one of the things that we are doing at the moment is to work towards assisting teachers to realize that doing discipline in the, in the present age is different than doing discipline when you and I were growing up. Uh, so it's a whole shift that one needs. So it's training that we need to try and help teachers with alternative methods of, um, um, the word discipline is a bit hard, of perhaps managing pupils', managing behavior. pupils managing behavior and that. So it is something that we're doing. We're also, also of course, uh, with the ETTP CETA, where I, I'm part of the schooling chamber there, uh, we ha we've got bursaries that we're giving mainly to uh, from the CETA, we're facilitating through the CETA and uh, helping teachers who want to reskill themselves. Not on a larger scale, and the uptake has not been as big as one would expect, but there has been consistently over the past few years people who have been reskilling themselves and studying through formal higher education institutions. Yeah. How does one go about finding out more about those bursaries or CETAs? What, what would you say to a principal? If they're interested in getting their teachers on board in that way, how do we, how would, who would we contact? Would we contact you? Yes, yes. I'm the, uh, in fact the person who handles the, the, that uh, relationship with CETA, and I'm the person who receives all the documentation and submits it to CETA, CETA and see that they 
they, pay. they actually pay, which they is pay which, which Matilda, I'm sure, will tell us is always one of the biggest challenges in 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 uh, the, the the low fee independent sector, mm-hmm. getting that subsidy and getting that that money that helps you keep going. I think what you're talking about in terms of discipline is similar to what Matilda was talking about when that child is seen as a behavioral problem in the class because they're curious um, and because they don't behave in ways that are seen as traditional and and normal. Um, We are going to listen to an excerpt from a TED talk given by Kyle Reyes. He's an educator who was looking at um, a big project uh, in America to help children from you know the the minority groups in the schools with public speaking and with their um the whole thing around gang graffiti and trying to reduce the influence of gangs in in american schools so um he's he's got some thoughts on how one should be approaching that sort of thing Uh, I'm not sure how many of you in here were ever made to feel stupid or inadequate when it came to your schooling experiences, but I imagine a few of you in here, myself included, at some point of your schooling experience uh, felt inadequate and not quite smart enough uh, to be successful in school. Scripts in theater are used to dictate to actors and actresses the parts they play and tell them exactly what they're supposed to say. These scripts clearly outline who plays the lead, the supporting roles, and even the villains. And what if scripts were actually played out in our society and in our schools? Or in other words, what if people actually believed that they had certain parts to play based on what they perceived their scripts to be? Folks, this happens every day. Where do these scripts come from? We are born with information that gets coded in our brain that tell us where we are safe and where we are not safe, where we belong and don't belong, whether or not we are better off than someone else, and what is normal or supposed to happen. One of the most significant places where these scripts are formulated is in the school. How do we measure a student's value? We have defined and measured student success over the years by the same clinical and quantitative terms. Why do we do this? Because these are the metrics that are easiest to measure and compare. Now, don't get me wrong, these measurements hold some value. But if we allow these measurements to dictate the schooling experience of all of our students, we have to be prepared for the harsh ways that they reinforce scripts. For some students, the script looks pretty good, and for others, not so much. For some students, they are achievers, they're winners, they're heroes and heroines in the story. But what about those who historically have not had the leading roles, or whose parents have not held the leading roles? What can we do to flip their scripts and provide opportunities for such students to become the authors of their own stories. Through my research, I propose three areas of focus that have demonstrated over and over again how we can flip the script for our most underserved students. Authenticity, a focus on recognizing and validating the unique identities students bring to the classroom. Relevance, or the relevance of the course content and material to the student's life, both current and future. And then meaningful connections with peers, mentors, and the community. When educators focus on authenticity, relevance, and connection, the schooling experience becomes meaningful and the script becomes a positive one. I believe that a student's capacity to succeed in the classroom is influenced by her ability, his or her ability, to make a connection with the classroom environment, content, and people. So how do we make this happen? How do we utilize the ARC approach when we're trying to flip the script? Let me share just a few suggestions that we can not only utilize in the schools, but I would argue in the workplace and even within the home. First, authenticity. 
we must recognize the inherent strengths and richness of every student that walks into our classroom. Students have stories and names. Learn them both. One Hidden Voices mentor explained that he wasn't trying to change the artists, but rather wanted to build on what they already had, but he had to get to know them first. We need to recognize that students need to be invited to share their stories as part of the learning process. Let us create environments where students and our youth can flourish because of who they are, not in spite of who they are. Next, relevance. We as educators all have our nerd zones, okay? We get into these zones and expect everybody else to love our subjects. Students need to see how the material connects with their world. Let us engage students in real-life challenges and scenarios, including community-based learning. Let us cultivate within the students a passion by, of, of learning by getting passionate ourselves about teaching and sharing. Let us answer the so what question whenever a new concept is discussed. Let us find projects and capstones that lead to meaningful deliverables in the home and in the school. Let us create opportunities for students to take ownership of their learning. And finally, connection. Educators need to create opportunities for students to connect through learning communities, peer and faculty mentoring, group reflection, and community engagement. Over the past 12 years, I've asked hundreds of students, community members, and educators about the factors that led to their success. And folks, without fail, every person recalled a parent, mentor, community or church leader, friend, and or, and especially a teacher as the primary reason for their success. The concepts of the ARC approach are not new, but how much are they a part of our everyday discussions in schools? Far too often in education, the tail is wagging the dog. Or in other words, these metrics force educators to teach students as if they're a part of a factory. Just as scholars before have said we need to employ more culturally relevant teaching, I am calling for us to recenter the education process on the students and not the tests. Ladies and gentlemen, let us remember our own schooling experiences. Each of you in this room can remember the folks that have impacted your lives. I know I can. We revere these educators not because of a particular lesson they taught or because they were simply brilliant. We revere them because of how much they cared about us and how much we perceived that they cared about us. We look up to them, why? Because they were the ones who invited us to get into their nerd zones and be inspired and had us consider our interests anew because of their passion and because of the relevancy of the material to our world. These are the ones who stayed after class. These were the ones who listened to us, the ones who checked up on us when we were sick, the ones who mentored us toward a better future. These were the educators who understand authenticity, relevance, and connection when trying to provide new scripts and opportunities for students to rethink and reframe where they are in this world. These are the educators that I want to be like. Thank you. You're listening to Radio Veritas, where you get the good news for a change. We'll be opening up the lines to take your calls just after 5 o'clock. You can call in on 011-452-7115. That's 011-452-7115. Um, or you can SMS us. The SMS number is 41809. SMS us on 41809. Start doing it right now if you want to. Let's hear your comments. Let's hear your views. Let's hear your questions. A double one four five two seven double one five. I'm talking to the doozy Matilda and Kathy about uh, hashtag Evolve SA Education. We're going to have a bit of a conversation now about some of that. But two things, uh, guys, that that struck me about what uh, Kyle Reyes had to say was first of all that children need to succeed because of who they are and not despite who they are. That was the one thing. And then I don't know if you mentioned it in the excerpt that you were listening to, but in the TED Talk, he talks about how education often has a deficit discourse. 
You know, and, and Nduduzi, I think you were talking about that earlier when you talked about the technology, the way in which if we don't have this, then we can't, you know, rather than what do we have and what can we do with it? Um, Kathy, you, you, you were just while we were listening through there, you had one or two interesting thoughts that you were sharing. Uh, yes, I think that um, what he said was very rich and I think that there was a lot to chat about. Um, I think that what stu- stood out for me was connecting with with the student and to make sure that you're there for them. And I think that does challenge teachers hugely. Um, teachers are very overworked. A good teacher is marking, is planning, um, is doing pastoral care, um, is uh, advising children far beyond their own subject. And I think that there is a, I think many of the teachers listening may feel overwhelmed Mm. by the challenge that he puts out to them to be there. But unfortunately, or fortunately, that is what a good teacher has to do. And and we go back to you know our, our society and and the fact that good teachers are giving so much of themselves. Um, they are having to prepare these lessons, and now there's the added task of having all the technology that they're supposed to be au fait with. Many of them don't have those resources at home. They're spending their own money for games um, to try to enrich the the children. And one of my biggest fears, which which I mentioned to you in the break, is that with the new 21st century skills and teaching that we're expecting from teachers, in South Africa, my greatest fear is that we're actually going to broaden the gap between the haves and the have-nots, that it's going to become even more critical in our society in South Africa of how we bring the children onto the same page and we try to level it a little, oh, at least some way, um, mm. for the children. Assessment is actually it is favoring children that have had excellent nutrition, good teaching at home, just having time with their families, many of whom are working, the whole family is working. Um, We are favoring children who are used to writing tests, who have the material. And so I do worry about the the large gap that we are, well, that's going to be further created by our 21st century. Tilda, your comments? Um, You know, if taking up from what Kathy has just said, um the you know the, 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 the issue of the the have and the have nots um it also goes you know into the the type of teachers that we have. Um and, and that says to me in terms of the education in, in, in this in the country. Once we, we're looking at the issue of assessment, uh which may be at the end. What about the curriculum? How how is it developed, and how is it, you know, the the very teachers that have to come in, and um, take it through. How are they trained? You know, this is another issue, and meaning that the training has to, there has to be that shift again in terms of how they are trained. You know, I was talking to one of my teachers to say. We, we have, for instance, student teachers coming, you know, to do their experience teaching. And, and what do we find? How are they trained wherever they are coming? And, and, and it was interesting for, for her to say, 
you know, unfortunately, because the the manner in which we, the teachers, um, have been trained, and you know, it is difficult for us to shift. We we even suppressing the very some of that teachers. creativity. Yes, the, the very teachers, because to us, the important thing is to teach, to teach, to teach, and not to allow the the learners. And and the issue of the have nots and you know having and not having. Um, it's another um, a big one because um, you you have that child in the classroom. The doozy as you go around. Getting home. Sorry, Matilda. I didn't yeah, to getting home. What is it that she has? What do they get home she, to? You know that can help them to develop them to be um, thinkers of the twenty first century. Oh, and get that critical thinking game. The doozy yeah. as you travel around and you see all the different environments in which Catholic education is taking place. Of course, we've always been proud of the fact that when compared to local conditions, education in the Catholic school in that local area is invariably uh, a better quality. Uh, there was a very big study on that in the early 2000s. Um, but but just in terms of what Carl Reyes is talking about, or also what Matilda and Kathy have been talking about, what's your experience of schools in South Africa and, and of this issue? I think uh, when we talk about uh, the haves and have-nots, I think it's uh, it is part of the conversation that will be there with us as long as we talk about um, uh, South Africa. Uh, schools are part of that uh, system. Uh, some people go as far as talk about uh, two education systems, one for the yeah. haves and one for the have-nots. Uh, yet um, that kind of conversation is a very good conversation to have. And we shouldn't uh, deny that and perhaps, perhaps ignore that. Uh, we, are, however, also don't want to get um, into that kind of uh, rut again of deficit and saying yes. all the time that because we don't have the resources, we're not going to be able to do it. Um, as he says there, as, as, as we say, uh, that we're trying to change from a standards-based system to kind of a criterion-based system. So what can people do? What can we do with the systems that we already have? Uh, because I think uh, government has got quite... Uh, a very important job to ensure that at least uh, the norms and standards for school infrastructure are met before we can even go uh, to, 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 to be talking about 21st century skills. Otherwise, we, then we've got to see how mm. teacher development is done. Mm. Uh, that's very, very important. Uh, we cannot say that because of where we are, and we know what the challenges are of toilets, of sanitation not being there in schools, in rural areas, and all those problems, and uh, the type of teacher that you get in schools. Yet, we unfortunately have got, or fortunately, have got to, <laughs> to keep moving forward as we do that. So my, 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 my answer to that, um, the short answer would be that our schools are as much as uh, are in South Africa and they are challenged. And so the disparities between the richest school and the poorest school are unimaginable. Um, and we need to keep that in mind when we have conversations like this. Yeah, and I think it's very important to, to mention too, I, I, was, I was in a rural school uh, in August last year. There, there's this other hidden problem of the children who don't have documentation. Um, and, you know... Born to illiterate parents in, a, in deep rural areas, mom, or if there is a dad around, don't even know about how to go about getting a birth certificate. Uh, the particular school that I was in, in KwaZulu-Natal, a third of the children in that school were not registered. They couldn't be because the registration system requires you to put a number in before that child can be accessioned onto the system. Um, and yeah, they were, you know, 
in their community, not ignoring children, but only being provisioned for two-thirds of the number of children that they actually had in the school. Um, we see that in the inner city as well with, with a lot of children, undocumented children living in the inner city who aren't able to access education along that way. Now, the question of assessment and whether we can measure children differently and by measuring children differently uh, help them overcome some of these gaps. Um, you know, maybe through a different measurement system, we are able to emphasize things like resilience and perseverance. Um, and those are the things that the children are going to be able to take with them once they've forgotten all the geography and maths and English and whatever you try to cram into their heads in the traditional way. Um, so, you know, looking at how, how we assess children, I think the bottom line does come down to teacher, though. And, you know, you've spoken, both you and Matilda have spoken about the teacher training, the way in which we prepare the next generation. Uh, ironically, my nephew is currently in his PGCE uh, studying, and he had to prepare a lesson for a class. And I looked at the lesson he was, and I'm letting him make his own mistakes. I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to show him the way until he's learnt uh, from his mistakes. Because that, you know, again, letting children fail, letting children learn through their failure. An assessment that says there's a winner and a loser, there's there's a right and a wrong answer, is part of the problem. You know, in fact, it's better sometimes to get the wrong answer. Because it's only when you get the wrong answer that you start to work out how to get to a better answer. I won't say the right answer because I don't. I'm not a great fan of the word right answer in this thing. So, and I also want to say this about the gap. You know, when OBE was introduced, I was working at the Catholic Institute at the time and working in rural schools, peri-urban schools. Uh, I remember going to a school in the northern province where a teacher was teaching how to design posters for English. She had nothing. There were no materials. There weren't, you know, if I was doing this at Sacred Art College, there would be newsprint, there would be cokey pens, there would be, you know, glitter and stickers and all kinds of things for the kids to use to create their posters. Yeah, she had absolutely nothing. And what she did is she got the children to draw rectangles in the sand and to go out into the bush and find leaves and stones and, you know, whatever they could find, and come back and use those to construct the poster. It was one of the best poster lessons I have ever watched a teacher give. Far superior to some of the lessons I saw at some of the wealthy independent schools that I was observing um, at the time. You know? So I do think um, in their book, Pro Professional Capital, uh, Michael Fullen and Andy Hargreaves talk about the fact that the quality of a country's education system can never exceed the quality of its teachers. Um, and that your, your teachers are the starting point. Um, and whether we're talking about traditional teaching or whether we're talking about 21st century education, it's the same. Um, and I'm sure, Matilda, if, if you reflect on some of the lessons you've watched, you know, the, the problem with group work is it's the group watching someone work. Um, but I'm sure you've seen some remarkable, you've, you've had some really dedicated teachers at your school, and you've seen some remarkable, innovative approaches to teaching by some of those teachers. It may just be a spark here or there. How do we find those sparks? How do we encourage our teachers? Yeah, um, I was just thinking, um, you know, whilst coming along the way to say, let us look at a situation where a teacher has to 
you have to teach learners about different kinds of essays. We have different types of essays. And what we would normally do is to say, give them different topics and say, write an essay about these topics. And I was saying to myself, why not get into a classroom and say to the learners, write an essay based on any topic of your choice. As a teacher, you still have to do the teaching part, which would be um, to say, these are the types of essays. We have the narrative, we have the descriptive, we have the argumentative. But allow them to write their own essays. And thereafter, get them into groups to say, let us now look into the different essays that have been written. And in the different types of, 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 of the different essays that they have written, they discuss amongst themselves. Then that brings us to the collaborative um, issue where they would be working in, yes. in, in groups. And on top of that, they would then apply on their own to say, I have written this essay and it is this type of essay. You know, you promote the reasoning part, it comes in. So, um, and, and, and at the end, everyone looks into each other's um, type of, of essay that they've written. And that is what we need to promote, you know, in, in the process of promoting collaboration, you know. Um, Critical and creative critic thinking. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You're listening to Changing Gear on Radio Veritas, where you get the good news for a change. Well, I'm Chris Boucher, and that little bit of music is my theme that tells you that we're going to be talking about the melting pot. We chat with people from all sorts and kinds of backgrounds, interesting things, different things, and hopefully sometimes challenging and stimulating things. Tune in on a Sunday evening at just after six, and you'll be able to hear really interesting, up-to-date, different insights into your faith. Look forward to being with you. Make sure to catch YouthWise, YouthWise on Friday and Saturday evenings from 7 to 8 p.m. With myself, Rhea, and Akona. Join us in discussing all things related to our faith as young, as young as people. Young, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station, Radio Veritas, 576 AM. On air on Radio Veritas. Have you ever had to answer questions on your Catholic faith? Or are you at crossroads with your Catholic faith right now? Well, here is an opportunity to learn more about your faith. Tune in to Renew on Air on Radio Veritas, Mondays at 8 p.m. and repeat on Saturday at 5 p.m. This is Radio Veritas, where you get the good news for a change. We'll be opening the lines to calls in about eight minutes, um, 011-452-7115. You can also tweet about this on, on uh, at, just, just use at Radio Veritas SA or at underscore cool underscore school. 
if you want to, and don't remember, to, don't forget to use the hashtag EvolveSA Education so that we can all be part of the conversation. We've been talking about um, some of the challenges we face in terms of measuring what matters and, and knowing that uh, we're creating opportunities for our children to develop the kinds of skills they need um, to, to be successful in a, in, a, in a very different world from the one we grew up in. Um, Kathy, when, when you think about uh, some of the most successful lessons in your own classes or, or in, your, in, in, in this um, uh, extreme that, that, uh, that St. Dominic's is doing, what would, what would be the hallmarks of a success? How would you know that a lesson is being successful when you can't measure it in the traditional way? I think that the first thing um, which was mentioned in the clip is around relevance. I think that children really do need to feel that they, what they are learning is relevant to them. If they feel that something is totally irrelevant and they have no idea how they'll ever use it um, or where it fits into um, their paradigm, they are going to be switched off. And I understand that many people say, well, you know, there's maths, algebra, calculus, trigonometry, where is it relevant? But I think that teachers can show the relevance um, in, in their classroom and by talking to the children. I think that um, they also need to be able to say that they do something. I think the most successful lessons is when children, they use the term experiential learning. Um, I think when children sit passively, there's the, there's the, the saying, you know, that the, the teacher used to be the sage on the stage and now the teacher needs to be the guide on the side. Um, they need to actually be involved in their learning. Um, and when they're asked a question, I really like your idea that there isn't a correct answer, that the, 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 the teachers need to start assessing the process of learning rather than the final product. And this is going to be very, very difficult for um, parents particularly, and the children, to be able to move away from just getting an A for the final test to the actual point of saying, I'm going to see how you did along the way. And that also makes group work far more um, relevant to them because if a teacher gets up off of the desk, because a, a group work is not the teacher sitting back and doing her marking while the group does the work. While the does group does the work, the work yes. The, the, the teacher needs to be facilitating and being involved in every group in her classroom. And also, I don't believe that groups should just be friendship groups. I think that groups should be something that is actually engineered by the teacher to make sure they've got skills in that group. I know that one of the things that Heather does in the high school, and they do it in the primary school at Sacred Heart as well, is they use something called Kagan methodology. Mm -hmm. And Kagan methodology has a very specific method of distributing ability skills in a group. So, and also a very specific way to make sure that, you know, people, kids working in pairs within a group of four are not, you're not putting the weakest kid with the strongest kid necessarily, no, no. that you're actually... You're actually distributing that capacity yes. across the group. Yes. You know, you mentioned about um, the, the excellent poster lesson. And we know that excellent teachers can teach under a tree. We've all, we've all used that term. We don't need all the mod cons. We don't need the fancy classrooms or the fancy desks. We can actually teach anywhere. But it's because you're actually challenging the child with something and 
one of the most important things to challenge children with is stories. And I mean, that's age-old, ancient way of teaching is through stories. And by giving them a story and then posing questions to them, they don't have one answer. And that they have to ask why. Why are they learning that? And why did the, the, the story end the way it did? And I think that that storytelling that you refer to is, is so important. Two things strike me. One, one is this issue of storytelling and the questions you ask. Um, I know, and I forget the author right off the top of my head, but there's a, there's a very good book called Change Just One Thing. Mm. And in this, the author talks about you can improve the quality of teaching and learning in your school by just changing the way questions are asked yes. and answered in your school. But also I was listening to what Matilda had to say about, you know, giving children choice in the essay, not not restricting the topics. And, and certainly what we know about children engaging with their learning is giving them choice is more likely to lead them uh, to engaging. An uh, interesting thing that the English department have done in the high school at Sacred Heart is to do away with set works. Mm. and to have a variety of works that children can, can, can uh, choose to read. We're going to listen to some music uh, in a moment. We're going to listen to Michael W. Smith singing Open the Eyes of My Heart. Um, and you're listening to Radio Veritas with the good news.
our studio now on 011-452-7115. Like us on Facebook at Radio Veritas South Africa. You're listening to Changing Gear on Radio Veritas. Remember, you can call in now on 011-452-7115. We'd love to hear your views. Don't forget to give your name when you call in. Tell them that you're calling in for Changing Gear. We're talking about hashtag EvolveSA. Um, and remember, you can also SMS your questions to 